Hello again. This is Charlie O'Shields, and for this episode, I felt like sharing some of my favorite bits of childhood, those little things that made me smile when I was a much shorter person. For those of you who read my blog on doodlewash.com, you'll already know that I am constantly rambling on about when I was a little child. But I grew up during a time when the world was changing a bit more slowly, and every new thing was so fascinating. Today, we're not quite as easily impressed by new things. We tend to shrug and ask, yeah, what else can it do? But back then, nearly every new thing felt like an innovation and a wonder to behold. Also, I firmly believe that when it comes to making art and being creative in general, it's always good to connect with that inner child. That little small person that I used to be is not that different than the adult I've become today. But on some days, when adulting seems to get a bit overwhelming and, well, not particularly fun at all, I think it's a blast to jump back to the past and enjoy a little reminder of just how easy it once was to have tons of fun pretty much all of the time. You see, little Charlie never questioned things before he just jumped in with glee. There was never a nagging doubt to stop him from trying something new, and he didn't wonder if he was actually good at drawing. He just did it and assumed he was. Like all children do when they grab for a crayon and start gleefully making marks on a page. I'm not actually sure of the exact age when the doubt begins to creep in. When there's that first question of whether or not we have something called talent. A word that doesn't mean a darn thing to a little child. It's a comparison we apply to ourselves as we get older and begin to judge ourselves and others which honestly is a total bore and not fun at all. So join me now as we head back to those days when everything was fascinating and awesome, including ourselves. Though much has changed in life since those days, it's difficult to avoid smiling when thinking back to those childhood favorites. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. the most tremendous new musical experience you can have. And now, it's available for everyone. Oompa Loompas. Just a few months after yours truly entered the world for the first time, these little things burst onto the cinema screen in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It was a few years later before I actually got to see it, of course, but I always thought it was cool that the little boy in the movie shared my name. It was the Oompa Loompas that I remembered most from the movie because of just how bizarre they were. I have no idea why they popped into my head or why I thought to doodle wash one, but that's where we landed today. Basically, for anyone who's unfamiliar with the story, five lucky kids get to enter an elusive and eccentric chocolate maker's factory having procured golden tickets. Each time one misbehaves, they are met with some unfortunate fate and the Oompa Loompas come to remove them from the scene while singing ominous, moralizing songs about their misdeeds. They were knee-high and they were orange and they were absolutely terrifying. I remember thinking if I didn't complete my homework, they might show up, popping their heads in my window and start singing their insidiously catchy songs. The movie was based on a book by Roald Dahl, who is my all-time favorite author of children's books. His stories were super dark and didn't talk down to kids, and I loved them for that. 
His original Oompa Loompas, called Whipple Scrumpets before publication, started out as African pygmies until he rewrote them to be white-skinned and blonde. The movie version opted for a more colorful version uh, with orange skin and green hair. In the book, there were whole families of Oompa Loompas with the men wearing skins, women wearing leaves, and children running around naked. This was, thankfully, also changed for the movie version. The movie was creepy, but also one of my favorites as a kid. Willy Wonka, played by Gene Wilder, was a fascinatingly odd and wonderfully crazy character. As played by Johnny Depp, years later, he was just a creepy pervert. The original movie contained a song called Cheer Up Charlie, and this soon became something my family members would repeat to me, much to my dismay, whenever I got grumpy. Slightly better than having the other kids at school constantly say sorry, Charlie, thanks to those darn Starkiss tuna commercials. But I love the book more than the movie. In fact, I preferred books to movies when I was a kid. Still do, actually. There's just something more fun about being able to imagine something for myself rather than having someone else show me what they think it should look like. Now, it's really hard to get this version of an Oompa Loompa out of my brain. These little orange guys have been burned into my head since childhood thanks to the small screen in my living room. Perhaps that's why Roald Dahl had his Oompa Loompas make this plea to kids everywhere. Oh books, what books they used to know, those children living long ago, so please, oh please, we beg, we pray, go throw your TV set away, and in its place you can install a lovely bookshelf on the wall. greatest war machines the world has ever known. Lawn darts. A trip down memory lane wouldn't be complete for me if I didn't mention a favorite backyard game called lawn darts. This terrifying game consisted of sharp, weighted metal stakes with colorful fins like a hideously enlarged dart you might find in a neighborhood bar. Large for a dart, but still a rather compact little game that could be easily taken from house to house. These little fun-for-the-whole-family missiles were stupidly dangerous, and attempts to ban them in the 70s failed, not succeeding until 1988. So, of course, my family kept playing with them, assuming they must be safe. I remember my older cousins used to play this game, and when I got older myself, I tried it as well. The goal was pretty simple, as you just had to get your dart to impale the grass inside the little yellow hula hoop. Thankfully, everyone would usually hide on one side while flinging the little missiles across the yard, and at least for my family, there were never any casualties. But that didn't mean it was actually safe, so much as we were just rather lucky. If someone had marketed a family game called Be a Circus Knife Thrower, heads might have turned, but these little weapons managed to sail the skies for decades. Being a little child in the 70s was actually quite easy as there were absolutely no rules. No helmets to wear if you wanted to ride your bike somewhere, and no seatbelts to bother with when riding in a car. It wasn't required to even put them in a car until the late 60s. Looking back, it seems astonishing that any of us actually survived. But I guess there are worse things to be afraid of, so maybe it's not so different after all. Although I miss some things from childhood that were removed out of fear, I highly support the fear of lawn darts. These things were just stupid. But even so, the memories of my family gathering together at my aunt's house are wonderful. 
Playing lawn darts meant we were just killing time until dessert was served, which was my favorite part of the day. Though a little less lethal game would have been appreciated, we at least came together often to enjoy a little family fun. That's something we stopped doing as we all got older, and that's something I really miss most. Rock'em Sock'em Robots Today we have a colorful doodle-wash of a little fighting game featuring robots that I loved when I was a kid. Of course, if you were a kid in the UK at the time, your game didn't mention the cool robots and was weirdly renamed to Raving Bonkers. Sorry about that. But here in the US, it was all about the red and blue robots who, through no particular backstory, were dead set on kicking each other's ass. Each player takes control of a bot, the Red Rocker or the Blue Bomber, who are waiting in a bright yellow boxing ring. If you were a kid in the 80s, um, you might have also had the Transformer version that had Megatron and Olympus. By pushing plunger buttons on a pair of joysticks, players try to punch the other robot's lights out. If you smack the other robot just right under the chin, then its head pops up and you win the round. That was it, actually, which sounds a little dull when you write about it, but it was super fun to play. There's just something about controlling a physical robot that made it so much cooler than a video game. Admittedly, it played like an elaborate game of thumb wrestling and didn't stay exciting for very long during a given session. But in those spurts of time when we pulled out the game and played a few rounds, it was very engaging. Unlike video games, there were no bullets and no bloodshed. Just a robot who malfunctions briefly until you jam his head back down into place. I wasn't one of those rough-and-tumble boys. I never liked sports of any kind, and I preferred a good book or playing the piano instead. But this was a sport even I could enjoy and participate in without feeling like a completely out-of-place idiot. It was perfect. So, I have a love for these guys for providing a little rough sport to my over-cultured, nerdy childhood. If you're curious, I was always Red Rocker. But to this day, I have absolutely no idea why. Let's get some fish. Fish in a bowl. Today we have a doodle wash of a goldfish in a bowl. I was always fascinated with these creatures as a kid. They seemed like they were trying to communicate, most likely saying, get me the hell out of this tiny bowl, you jerk, and also seemed incredibly bored. Lots of my friends had them when we were growing up because they were the go-to low-maintenance pet. All of them had asked for a hamster, a dog, or a cat, and were instead surprised with one of these instead and told not to touch it. Since I was one of the kids lucky enough to be given a hamster, I wasn't allowed to also have a goldfish. When my whining grew too great, my mother finally gave in and got me my very own consolation prize, sea monkeys. Instead of being disappointed, I was absolutely thrilled and thought I had really scored something magical. That was until I discovered they were not actual little monkeys who lived in water, but something else entirely. 
The packaging showed a disturbingly naked family of human-like creatures with tails who were wearing crowns. Also with this was the exciting proclamation that these were live sea monkeys, which was good as nobody ever really wants to receive a dead pet. I vaguely remembered the ads from my comic books, and so I was intrigued. After all, they had promised these were a bowl full of happiness you can grow yourself. And best of all, they are also eager to please. They can even be trained. The fact that trained was in quotes had escaped me entirely during my initial excitement. Unfortunately, once the live eggs hatched, what appeared was something that looked like floating pieces of lint. I used the growth food as instructed, however, they never grew up to become that happy family from the box and remained seemingly lifeless, microscopic sea creatures. Refusing to give up, I attempted to train them as described and played some music to watch them dance. They just stopped moving entirely. This was when I realized it was a hoax. I mean, honestly, who could resist the sultry belting of Tina Turner or not bounce around happily when hearing the theme from Footloose? Once, as an adult, I almost bought some sea monkeys just to see if maybe things had changed. But I resisted. I didn't want to live through the disappointment again should the same outcome occur. And if they had grown up to be that happy family on the package, I would have just felt bad that they had to live in a tiny bowl and likely found their nudist lifestyle to be awkwardly uncomfortable. So I think I'll just stick with dogs, now that I'm old enough to have one, without having to ask my parents first. Barrel of Monkeys One of the most memorable little things from childhood is also the simplest. It was a tiny red plastic barrel filled with little plastic monkeys that my grandmother kept on a bookshelf. In the simple spirit of the game, I made a fast little doodle wash using only two colors. These were very inexpensive and available just about everywhere in the 70s, but I only remember playing when I went to visit my grandmother's farm. Looking back, I doubt she even purchased them herself, as I'm sure it was just something brought by a cousin one Christmas and forgotten. But it takes my mind back to her. The phrase, more fun than a barrel of monkeys, had been around for years before anyone decided to riff on it and make it into a game. Actually, the very first phrase was a box of monkeys, since that's how they were transported to America. This shifted immediately to include barrel, as those were used for alcohol, so the connotation was doubly funny. Also, there was a saying called sucking the monkey, which meant drinking alcohol straight from the barrel. Not, thankfully, what immediately comes to mind when you first hear that phrase. Barrel of monkeys consists of grabbing one little monkey, then using it to pick up the other little monkeys, forming a monkey chain. The longer the chain got, the more difficult it became to hook another monkey, and if you dropped one, your turn was over. Yep, that's the whole game, but it was still pretty addictive. According to Wikipedia, a Dr. Gilbert Patterson holds the record for making the fastest chain, but a Sir Robert Donald of Orange County has the unofficial fastest claim, as well as two first names and the dubious honor of being knighted in California. 
Donald's recorded game is allegedly being sent in for review to the unsubstantiated North American Barrel of Monkeys Association, which proves one mustn't always take Wikipedia terribly seriously. But for me, this little game will always bring back memories of hanging out on my grandmother's farm. There you would find me, sitting in a small chair by the window, having just eaten my cornflakes for supper while reading all of the cartoons in her copies of Reader's Digest. Not quite satisfied with the evening's entertainment, I would always reach for that little red plastic barrel. This was many years ago now, during that wonderful, simpler time, when there was really nothing more fun than a barrel of monkeys. So here's a little thing that started as a fad in the 60s, then made flash comebacks each decade after that. The first troll doll was created in 1959 when a Danish fisherman and woodcutter named Thomas Dam couldn't afford a Christmas gift for his young daughter, Lila, so he carved a doll from his imagination. When other kids in town wanted them too, the company Damn Things was formed and the rest, as they say, is history. When I was a kid, these things were often one of the prizes at amusement parks, could be fished out of the arcade skill crane game or purchased as a pencil topper. The last was the most fun, not only for the miniature size, but because you could smooth the hair up to a point and then spin the pencil between your palms as fast as you could to create the worst hair day ever for the hideously cute little thing. For some reason that escapes me now, this was perfectly hilarious and never got old. I don't think I ever actually requested a troll doll, but the damn things were so prevalent that it was nearly impossible not to end up with a tiny one at some point. They weren't always naked and genderless, as they also came in various outfits or people made different outfits for them. But I didn't like the ones with outfits as they felt more like dolls to me and the naked ones just felt like toys, a distinction that only a psychiatrist could explain properly. But never fear if you missed out on these guys, because DreamWorks brought them back in movie form. Again, something you may have never asked for, but apparently that's just how these trolls work. They sort of force their way into your life like that. Unlike Smurfs, these little guys were always just inanimate objects for me, and that was part of the charm, I think. If one started talking, I might feel weird jabbing a pencil up its butt and spinning it till its hair explodes. That would just spoil all of the fun. That's it. I hope you've enjoyed this winding and stumbling path down memory lane. Most of all, I hope it sparked memories of your own childhood favorites and created an impossibly insatiable desire to let your inner child take over. Okay, well, maybe it didn't do all of that, but I hope you'll let that inner child out to play whenever possible. Whenever you find yourself blocked and not feeling creative, I've found it's always best to hand over the crayon. That little kid inside will know exactly what to do next, and you'll be surprised at just how quickly the magic returns. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories. 